Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Welcome to a history of Europe, Kibatos, the Spanish Armadas, part three of five. Last week I described the relations between the Kingdom of Spain led by Philip II, England, under Queen Elizabeth I, and the Dutch Republic, up to the year 1571. This was the year of the great Battle of Lepanto, described in an earlier podcast. This important victory of the Christians in October of that year was a huge boost for Philip. Contract with the Ottomans abated temporarily, but the Mediterranean was still a big commitment for him. Nevertheless, unrest in the Netherlands, as well as fragile relations with the kingdoms of England and France, diverted his attention and resources inexorably in the next years to a second front in the north. As ever, finance was at the heart of the problem. The Duke of Alba's imposition of a new tax on the Dutch, the so-called Tenth Penny, aroused widespread protest and opposition. In stark contrast, the days of Charles V, when the Dutch felt themselves at the centre of empire, both Catholics and Protestants increasingly saw the Spanish as foreign occupiers. It was at this moment when a group of renegade sailors achieved an important symbolic victory. On the 1st of April, 1572, the sea beggars, as they called themselves, captured the port of Briel. Their success emboldened Protestants all over the Low Countries to rise and revolt once more. Unrest spread again, with the plight of the poor made even worse by the exceptionally harsh winter of 1571 to 1572, when heavy frosts had frozen rivers and killed off swathes of fruit trees and vines. Resistance was especially strong in the northern provinces of Holland and Zealand, where the Spanish effectively lost all control. On the diplomatic front, William of Orange, as head of the Dutch rebels, worked hard to exploit Elizabeth's fear and resentment of Spain in order to try and secure a commitment from her to assist his invasion plans. Elizabeth, however, was cautious and remained uncommitted. In France, meanwhile, Protestants were gaining strength in royal circles, leading to the announcement in April of 1572 
that the Huguenot leader, Henry of Navarre, would marry the king's sister, Margarita. This event was intended to heal some of the divisions of the French court, and so paved the way for a large invasion of the Netherlands by government forces. The Duke of Alba, Philip's chief commander in the Low Countries, was confident of being able to put down the Dutch revolt, given time. But what worried him was evidence that France looked almost certain to wage war on his forces. Immediately he went on a heavy recruitment campaign and orders his forces south to strong points along the frontier with France. A key focal point of the conflict became the town of Mons, in the southern provinces, today in the south of Belgium, which was held by Dutch rebels. The Duke of Alba besieged the town on the 23rd of June. Two months later, with the siege still ongoing, there occurred a major turning point in French affairs. In the aftermath of the marriage of Henry of Navarre and Marguerite on the night of 23rd of August, King Charles IX of France, under pressure from leading Catholics, ordered the murder of hundreds of Protestants, many of whom had assembled in the capital for the wedding. What became known as the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, one of the most notorious events in French history, continued throughout the next day and spread rapidly to about another dozen cities in France. Overnight, these events transformed the situation in the Netherlands and beyond. Philip was absolutely delighted now that the threat of French Protestant leaders had been removed. William of Orange also realised the significance of the event. He wrote to his brother, describing the massacre as a stunning blow, because, quote, My only hope lay with France, but for Bartholomew we would have been able to dictate terms at our own pleasure. End quote. On the 12th of September, William's attempt to relieve Mons failed, and without any hope of assistance from the French, the city surrendered one week later. The Duke of Alba next turned his attention to the other towns in rebellion, and since the campaigning season was running out, he decided upon a strategy of selective terror, calculating that a few examples of unrestrained brutality would exhilarate the process of pacification. At first this proved very successful, but the rebels in Holland and Zealand held out bravely. Alba was forced to leave a garrison at each conquered town, so that when he came to the town of Harlem, his forces were much diminished. Envoys from Harlem offered to negotiate, but the Duke refused, demanding immediate surrender or else his troops would take the city and sack it. It was a fateful decision, as the citizens of Harlem managed to hold out for longer than expected, from December 1572 to July 1573, when the starving city finally surrendered and its garrison was massacred. Their resistance was taken as a heroic example by Dutch rebels elsewhere, and encouraged a particular note to the defenders of the sieges of Alkmaar and Leiden. On the other side of Europe, meanwhile, in February 1573, the Venetian Republic settled a peace of the Ottomans, leaving Philip suddenly vulnerable to Turkish aggression in the Mediterranean. Spain did not have the resources to fight on two fronts, forcing Philip to scale back his campaign in the Netherlands. Having lost confidence in the abilities of the Duke of Alba, the king replaced him with another Spanish noble, named Louis de Requesen. 
and a new policy of moderation was attempted. Spain, however, was struggling financially, and Philip had to declare bankruptcy in 1575. Requesen had not managed to broker a policy acceptable to both the Spanish king and the Dutch when he died in early 1576. The inability of the Spanish to pay their mercenary armies endured, leading to numerous mutinies, and in November 1576 troops sacked Antwerp at the cost of some 8,000 lives. The terrible reputation of Spanish soldiers, thuggery, the so-called Spanish fury, strengthened the resolve of the rebels in the 17 provinces to rid themselves of the hated foreign occupiers. In 1576, the Dutch negotiated an agreement between themselves, which was named the Pacification of Ghent. The representatives of all 17 provinces agreed to religious tolerance and pledged to fight together against the mutinous Spanish forces. The government in the regions, which still held in the north, was an assembly called the States General. Some religious hostilities continued, however, and Spain, aided by renewal of bullion from the New World, was able to send a new army to the Netherlands under the command of Alexander Farnese, Duke of Parma. On the 6th of January 1579, the leaders of some southern states, upset by aggressive Calvinism, were persuaded by the Duke of Parma to leave the alliance and signed the Union of Arras, in which they pledged their loyalty to the Spanish king. Thus came to an end the goal of united independence for all 17 provinces, agreed only three years previously. In response to the Union of Arras, William of Orange united the northern provinces with the Union of Utrecht on the 23rd of January 1579. The end result was that the 17 provinces were now divided into a southern group, lower to the Spanish king, and a rebellious northern group. Spanish success at dividing the Dutch occurred shortly after one of Philip's greatest achievements. One of his major aspirations has always been to unify the Iberian Peninsula, and the opportunity for achieving this came in 1578, when his nephew, Sebastian, King of Portugal, died rather recklessly, fighting the Moors at the Battle of Alcazar-Quivir in Morocco. Philip's claim to the Portuguese throne was as strong as anyone's, and one which he was determined to pursue. For one of the few occasions in his life, Philip acted decisively. He sent the necessary bribes to the nobility of Portugal, prepared an army of invasion just in case. Opposed to him were the towns and many of the ordinary Portuguese who supported another claimant. In the end, Philip's forces were too strong and easily took control of the country. In so doing, Philip added to his empire not just Portugal, but the substantial Portuguese holdings overseas in South America, Africa, India and the East Indies. The acquisition of the Atlantic-facing ports of Lisbon and the Porto and the Portuguese fleet gave Philip new opportunities overseas, as did the Azores island in the North Atlantic, which could act as a useful stepping stone between Europe and the Americas. Philip showed considerable skill in dealing with the Portuguese in order to make himself acceptable, making it clear Portugal was not going to become part of Spain but would be able to keep her own customs and laws. 
In the first years, Portugal prospered and was well governed. In his American colonies, Philip also showed good judgment in his efforts to set up effective administration and justice. The problems were formidable, not least the great distances between Madrid and the Indies. Yet much was achieved thanks to the appointment of capable viceroys who helped sustain peace and prosperity. These successes, together with relative quiet in the Mediterranean, gave Philip increased confidence in foreign affairs, and he renewed his efforts to subdue the Netherlands. Philip's newly assigned governor of the Netherlands, the Duke of Parma, was the son of Margaret of Austria, the illegitimate daughter of Emperor Charles V. According to Winston Graham, in his book, The Spanish Armadas, Parma was... Quote, a strategist and a tactician of the first order, was a man of great personal bravery, ruthless towards his enemies but tolerant and humane, an act of policy to those he conquered. Where a swift and decisive use of his troops in battle was likely to achieve his end, no one was his equal in deploying and leading them. Where his charm or the offer of money or a title or an appeal to an old religious prejudice would do the work better, he used them. End quote. As soon as Palmer arrived in the Netherlands, he started to make an impact. In 1578-59, his subtle diplomacy drew the Catholics of the southern Netherlands back into the royalist camp, and in the first years of the 1580s, his bribe secured the surrender of numerous fortified centres without a siege. However, a siege was required. When the town fell, the Spanish troops, unlike before, behaved with discipline and restraint. Protestant worship was suppressed, but any Protestants who wished to leave the town were given time to do so, and could take their goods with them. Many migrated to northern provinces, where they helped boost the economy, as many were skilled craftspeople, traders or intellectuals. In some towns, Catholics had often felt oppressed by hardline Calvinists, who had desecrated their churches. From their point of view, they were not displeased when the Spanish retook control. 
Elizabeth, however, found the idea abhorrent, and vowed never to involve herself in the domestic affairs of any of her fellow monarchs. Not only would intervention provoke Philip, but it would set a dangerous precedent. If she could interfere in the affairs of other monarchs, they could return the favour. In 1581, the Dutch invited the Duke of Anjou, a younger brother of King Henry III of France, to be sovereign ruler. Anjou accepted on the condition that the Netherlands officially renounce any loyalty to Philip. The States-General agreed and issued the Act of Abjuration, which declared that the King of Spain had not upheld his responsibilities to the people of the Netherlands and therefore would no longer be accepted as the rightful sovereign. The Duke of Anjou was in his mid-twenties and had more a sense of adventure than of good judgment. In 1581 he spent time in London courting Queen Elizabeth, who made signs of being open to a marriage alliance, although it is unclear if either side were ever serious about the proposal. In February 1582, Anjou moved onto the Netherlands, where he was sworn in as Duke, Count or Lord of various Dutch provinces, except for those controlled by Spain and for Holland and Zealand, who rejected the young prince. However, events did not go to plan. Anjou was almost assassinated by Spanish hirelings in July, and he came under intense diplomatic pressure from other Catholic princes to withdraw from the Netherlands altogether. Another issue was the continuing preeminence of William of Orange, who remained the most popular figure among the Dutch. Anjou's position was fast becoming intolerable. To regain his authority, he decided on a plan to seize Antwerp and the principal towns of Flanders. However, in January 1583 at Antwerp, he was defeated with heavy losses. By June 1583, the young prince, frustrated by his lack of authority in the Netherlands, returned to France. Meanwhile, town after town was forwarding to the Spanish. Anjou died of malaria on the 10th of July 1584, and a month later, William of Orange was murdered by an assassin in the pay of the Spanish. The loss of Orange, in particular, was a devastating blow to the rebel cause. He was the one man who could unite the disparate political forces of the Dutch, or was able to secure support or assistance from foreign powers. And he had commanded the respect and even love of the population at large. In 1585, the Duke of Parma had taken control of the great majority of the Low Countries, including Maastricht, Dunkirk, Ypres and Ghent, and looked poised to secure the recovery of the remaining areas in revolt the provinces of Holland, Zeeland and Utrecht. Queen Elizabeth was seriously alarmed by the Duke of Parma's successes and by the prospect of a strong Spanish government being restored in the Netherlands. Up to this point, she had always been highly cautious about getting involved in the Netherlands, not wishing to anger Philip up until then what little aid she had provided the rebels had come clandestinely, grudgingly and tardily. This changed when in 1583 another conspiracy to assassinate her, the so-called Throckmorton Plot, was discovered. Spain was once more clearly implicated, and so her ambassador to England was duly expelled. 
Following this event and the news of the death of both William of Orange and Anjou, the English court decided in October 1584 to offer military support to the Dutch rebels. With the Treaty of Nonsuch, signed on the 20th of August 1585, Elizabeth agreed to contribute a 1,000 horses and 6,350 soldiers to the Dutch war effort. The decision to grant aid so openly to the Dutch was a provocation to the Spanish. In a pamphlet, Elizabeth took great pains to explain why she had abandoned her traditional stance of neutrality emphasising the numerous conspiracies mounted against her and her country, most of which had been supported by the Spanish. She sent one of her favourites, the Earl of Leicester, to lead the campaign. He failed, however, to build a relationship of mutual trust with the Dutch, and he returned to England after only two years with little success to boast about. In 1588, the Dutch, feeling let down time and again by foreign nobility, decided to no longer seek a sovereign to rule over themselves, and proclaim themselves a republic. In the meantime, Philip of Spain acted with fury through Elizabeth's decision to support the Dutch rebels. Angry also at English privateers attacking Spanish ships in the Americas, and concerned about the plight of Catholics in England under a Protestant order, he decided to act. And so was triggered the famous expedition of the Spanish Armada. Thank you for listening to History of Europe Key Battles. As ever, it's great to hear from you on the Facebook page, or you can write to me directly, carl at historyeurope.net, or on the blog, www.historyeurope.net on Twitter at HistoryEuropeKB. I hope you can join me next week for the next part of the Spanish Armadas. Until then, have a great week and goodbye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.